It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio.
welcome everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Energy Awareness Radio. Are you ready for a radical shift in perception, one that may challenge and profoundly alter your idea of who you are and what your purpose is on this planet? If so, my guests will be sharing information, stories, and simple yet life-changing practices designed to assist you in doing the work you came to this earth to do. This is your host, T. Love, here at Energy Awareness Radio. I am the founder and CEO of the Soji Huggles Children's Foundation, a nonprofit dedicated to providing the basic necessities of life to underprivileged children. I'm also a reconnective healing practitioner, certified vibrational sound therapist, and positive psychology and energy psychology therapist at Quantum Wellness Center, my private practice located in Sussex County, New Jersey, where Energy Awareness Radio streams to you live each and every week. Energy Awareness Radio is happy to be sponsored by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and information. Audible.com has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products to choose from, so you can listen whenever and wherever you want. Just download the title you prefer free of charge and start listening when you sign up for a 30-day trial at audibletrial.com slash energyawareness. That's audibletrial.com slash energyawareness. My guests, Drs. Mary and Ronald Hulnick, are pioneers and worldwide leaders in the field of spiritual psychology, as well as teachers and facilitators of awakening and consciousness. They are renowned educators, authors, and the founding faculty and co-directors of the University of Santa Monica. That's where they have designed, developed, and facilitated educational programs for the past 35 years. Both are licensed marriage and family therapists, and Mary is also a licensed clinical psychologist. They are the authors of Loyalty to Your Soul, The Heart of Spiritual Psychology, as well as their most recent book, Remembering the Light Within, which is our topic for discussion. So, Mary, Ronald, welcome to the show, and thank you both so very much for taking time to join us here at Energy Awareness Radio. How are you being? Well, after what you just said, we're being really great. <laughs> and, <laughs> and please, call me, call me Ron. <laughs> I shall do that. <laughs> thank you, and I'm glad you're being great. <laughs> you know... Your book is is filled with stories and examples, practices and intentions that truly guide the reader to awareness in bringing spirituality into their daily life, which is something that is, as each day goes by, we need it more and more. So I I can't even tell you how (laughs) timely this is at this point in history. But what was it that was the catalyst to bring you to writing this book? Oh my gosh! Where? <laughs> oh well, you know it. It um, really started. We had completed an offering to our community called "33 Days of Awakening," and it was really fun. It was um, an inspirational message and some kind of activity that went out to the community each day. And when it completed. I said to our director of online education, I would love to write for more people. And so we um, were in conversation with Ariana Huffington. She offered to uh, share the 33 Days of Awakening with 
a portion of the Huffington Post community, and so we did that, and over over 20,000 people subscribed to that, and I think we had 138 countries represented. Yeah. It was really, um, wow. really very successful outreach. And after that, I said, I want to expand this material into a book, you know, have more stories, have more dimensionality, and uh, a deeper <clears throat> level of information that could be shared. And so that, that was how this book was born. It is great because, I mean, that huge success to you for all those countries, 123 countries that were involved, that's incredible. That Kudos. <laughs> Thank you. You know? You're welcome. And there's so much in this book. I usually try to pick out one thing in every book that's my favorite, and I couldn't do it with your book. It was impossible because there were so many things that just struck my heart. Um, toward the end of the show, I will, I will read one thing that really was profound to me, but I'm not going to give that up right now. <laughs> you know, there was so much to talk about. So I wanted to start and, and kind of go through a little bit so that our readers can understand what it is that's in this book. Uh, you talk about goal lines and soul lines. And, of course, the name of the book is Remembering the Light Within, A Course in Soul-Centered Living. So if we could start with what exactly is soul-centered living so that our listeners have a grasp of what does that mean, and then we'll move on to the difference between the goal lines and the soul lines. Is that okay? Can we do that? Yeah, sure. sure. I, think, I think it's better if we start with what the goal line is, what we mean by that so that it's easier to see the distinction. So goal line living is just another way of saying physical world reality. It's the reality that most people live in. It's every day uh, going to work, families, all of that kind of uh, activity. Health, health, money. Health, money, all of it. And we, we have, we are, we're programmed because we're in this world to evaluate everything in terms of this world. And we learn what things we believe about this world and what kinds of things we value. And when we see things happening in the world that go against our value system, then we feel bad about that. And, you know, and, and when we see things that we, that we like, these are things that we feel good about. But the key element is, and we rarely think about this, is we are never really experiencing those things that are happening out there in the world. We are experiencing them. The only place experience ever takes place is inside of us. So how we interpret what we see out in the world is going to be what fills our inner environment, what the experiences are, so that if something happens and we feel really we feel is a really good thing we're going to feel happy about it and if something happens and we have decided uh, or we interpret it or we perceive it as a bad thing then we're going to be upset by it and all of this is part of the goal line or physical world reality spiritual reality okay. is a whole different context it's a different lens out through which you look at the world when we look from the perspective of spiritual uh, from spiritual uh, perspective, all we really see 
is everything that's happening. None of it is right or wrong or good or bad or anything unless we decide that. So there's that famous quote in Hamlet, um, nothing is either right nor wrong, but thinking makes it so. So right. awakening, <laughs> awakening is all about learning how to change the perspective of consciousness itself. So we spend more time learning how to look through the soul's perspective or the spiritual perspective, or as some people speak of it as the fourth dimension, where things just are seen and made sense of in a totally different way. And that shift is what awakening is all about. It has always been what awakening is all about. It has always been what people who wrote about enlightenment, it's the same thing. Enlightening and awakening is really the same thing. So it's learning how to move or to gain familiarity with that other context. And uh, fortunately or unfortunately, depending upon one's perspective, uh, there's not that much of that going on in this world today. However, it Mm -mm. is gaining. It is gaining. Yes, because of books like yours. (laughs) Well, and radio stations like yours. (laughs) Thank you. To, um, for us, soul-centered living is awakening into the awareness of spiritual reality and the awareness of yourself as a divine being having and using a human experience and then living your life from that place. That really is what soul-centered living is all about because our, our perspective is that these things are more than nice ideas, that they can be translated into practices that can make a tremendous difference, not only in the state of consciousness in which one resides, but the quality of life that we then live. I couldn't agree with you more. It's not. And, and, it, and, it, and a lot of people look at things like this and think, well, that's a nice idea, but no one lives that way. And that's not true. A lot of us no. live in this way. And yeah. one of the things that I got from your book, Goal Lines versus Soul Lines, and, and, you know, tell me if you think this is a fair assessment. But when I read it, I thought Goal Lines to me is the doing of life, where Soul Lines is actually the being life. Yes, that's exactly the distinction. Yeah. It just it just made so much sense. It was like, oh, doing and being. That's why I always ask everybody when they're, you know, first on air, I say, how are you being? Not a lot of people pick up on it. You did, but no. some people yeah. don't. It's like we're not, we're not doing, we're actually being. <laughs> yeah. See, the, what's interesting about that is that really there's, if once people have the perspective, there's really only one answer to that question. How are you being? The answer is going to be, well, I'm actually being just fine, thank you. Uh because mm-hmm. the soul is not here to to uh, accomplish. The soul is here to learn. So no matter what you're doing, it's learning from that. So its its purpose is being served just simply by being here. Well, and and, and in that, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Mary. And uh, well, I, I, really, your your first phrase is exactly what I was going to speak to that in that, really, the process of awakening is awakening into the awareness of our essential nature, which is loving. 
is peaceful, is joyful, is creative, is wise, and that that is who we truly are, that the ego patterns that we struggle with are really mechanisms that properly utilized we can can be in service to our awakening, to our remembering. You did a better job segueing than I was going to because I was going to say yes, everything you said plus you know, we, we are love. We are from the source of love. We are made from love. Yes. We come from love. Our entire being is love. And love, I've had this discussion with people, and they don't seem to understand sometimes how easy love is. Everybody says love is so hard, and I tell them, no, it's not. It's so easy. What happens is when the ego gets in the way, that's what makes it hard. That's not love. Now, I get that the ego really gets a bad rap a lot, because it, but it can be quite useful. You know, it's not always that bad side of the ego that everybody kind of, you know, the connotation of the ego is, oh, they've got a big ego, it's inflated, they think highly of themselves. But the ego does keep us safe and free from harm many, many times, so it is quite useful. But well, to truly that. come from... <clears throat> I was going to say, not only that, you really couldn't function very well in this reality without an ego because if mm-hmm. you just were in soul consciousness uh you'd probably just walk around all day in bliss and uh <laughs> you, you know i mean you you wouldn't get anything done to speak of you no you you wouldn't really you couldn't you, you wouldn't have an, an interface mechanism to that would enable you to participate here be, because it wouldn't make any sense to you so the ego does fulfill uh, a very uh, a very necessary function it's just when it has been programmed with all of these kinds of rules and shoulds uh, is when it gets challenging and that's when it gets a bad rap right, right. and yeah. i think too that you know just the fact that if you if you do come from that perspective of your heart if you do come from that space of love you're always in the right it's never going to it's never going to be wrong when you come from the space of love, but you have to know what that space is. And yeah. that completely takes ego out for the most part because you're realizing that there is no judgment, there is no comparison. You add in discernment and you begin to see that there's admiration. Well, and um, one of our favorite Rumi quotes is, out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and rightdoing, there is a field. I'll meet you there. And to us, that is the field of unconditional love, the field of the authentic self or of our essential nature. And that is, that is who we truly are. And that in that field, as you were saying, T, there is no right or wrong. We're beyond mm-hmm. it. We've, we've right. moved beyond the duality of the ego mind. That's what we hope. <laughs> we don't see it well, all the time, but <laughs> well, we're multidimensional in consciousness, and because we are human, and we have issues that we've come to heal and gifts we've come to share, at times our material is going to be triggered, and we're going to be in the duality. We're going to be in the judgment and the rightness and wrongness of things, and. Really, from our perspective, those are God-given opportunities for healing. And the other thing that's not a popular notion uh, in this culture uh, is that we talk about 
a person actually comes onto the planet with spiritual curriculum that the mm-hmm. soul has an agenda from being here. And it's it's learning certain things. And, of course, if you go very far into that kind of thinking, you're into reincarnation, uh, which is, of course, what most people on the planet believe anyway. Uh, and it's it's not like we come here without curriculum. We come here with curriculum. This is why people tend to gravitate into certain patterns and not into other patterns because it's set up that way right right from the get-go. And this is one of the things that in class uh, a lot of people gain get relief in that piece of information because we keep telling them, you as a parent are not responsible for how your kids turn out. That mm-hmm. is totally up to them because it has to do with their curriculum. What you're responsible for is being the best parent you and loving parent you know how to be. And that's it. You're not responsible for how they turn out. And that's beautiful because so many parents think that they are. It's very, very sad that, well, I, I must have failed. I must have done something wrong. Yeah. No, you did not. It's not your journey. It's their journey. You know, no matter what yeah. you did, the journey was going to be the same. Yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's wonderful that, that you're able to tell people that, and they get it, and they feel good from it because it's so very important for them to understand that, I think. Yeah, there was a, a, a um, little video thing that we saw just a day or two ago. What was the title of it, Mary, about uh, people with Down syndromes and others? And I don't remember what the name of it was, but it, it was a beautiful video. And it was these women, uh, one after the other, in a car with their child, young child, who was dealing with Down syndrome. But the mm-hmm. And they were working with sign language. They were teaching these kids sign language. And they were singing, and one, and they were just having the best time. And on the one side, you say, oh, my God, that's so terrible. Look at those poor kids. But on the other hand, you could say, look at those people having a fabulous, loving time. They are just obviously having a great time. They're laughing and singing. And uh, it, it all depends on perception. It all depends on how yes. you perceive you know, people with developmental disabilities, uh, I know a lot of people with developmental disabilities and work with a lot of people. We have a few nonprofits in the area that deal with specifically with developmental disabilities and people. And oftentimes just being, you know, the vibration is raised. They are so loving. They are so, we have so much to learn from them. Everybody thinks, well, they're not normal. You know what? They're more normal than the rest of us. They come from a place where they understand in their hearts, they're just coming from love, complete and pure love. And there's so much to learn there. Just like there's so much to learn from children who also come from a place of love because we haven't ruined their little brains yet, you know, and that will happen later (laughs) as they become teenagers. You know, we do that. But there's so much to learn from everyone. And if we could just harness that you know mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. Uh, I'm always reminded of uh, a time when my my first teacher and I were walking in the street together to visit someone in a hospital and coming toward us was a, a woman wheeling a young man or adolescent in a chair and he was all contorted and his head was bobbing up and down and he was not obviously present you know my, my teacher was clairvoyant and as we mm-hmm. walked past them uh, we walked a couple of steps, and she said, you know, Ron, 
there's really no need for you to feel sorry for that young man. The fact of the matter is that this is his last incarnation. He has mastered everything on this planet that has to offer, and he knows this. He is ecstatic. He's so ecstatic he can't relate to the rest of us. And he will complete his journey here by simply enduring. And he has a few years left to go. So don't don't feel sorry for him. You know, if you want to feel sorry for anyone, feel sorry for yourself that you're not one. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> you have to feel sorry for yourself because you're not at his level. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. One of the things that was very interesting in your book was, and I'd like to talk about this a little bit if we may, is the uh, neutral observer. You know, in reading about that, that is not always an easy thing to do. (laughs) No, no, that is not an easy thing to do. And, you know, part of learning to do that is – I think builds on the very first skills that we introduce in the book. We talk about learning to look through soul-centered eyes, yes, eyes of love, and to look for the loving essence in another person. And in order to do that, I find I need to be centered in my own heart, in the loving inside of me. And when I look through those eyes, I move beyond ego mind. I move beyond the belief in right doing and wrong doing. And so I'm much more in that place of the neutral observer or of the <coughs> spiritual scientist, as we sometimes call it. it um, at USM, we, we are very highly experiential. Uh, mm-hmm. we'll, after maybe about uh, 15 minutes or 20 minutes, of introducing a concept or something like that. We we put the people into trios, and they may work in the trio for an hour, sometimes more. And each trio has someone who's the sharer and then someone who's the facilitator, and the facilitator is going to work with the sharer. And then the third person is the neutral observer. Mm. And their job is to simply be a loving presence in that trio and to just send their loving energy to both of the other people, the other participants, regardless of what's going on in the trio, regardless of what anybody says, regardless of whether they like what they're hearing or don't like what they're hearing, because a loving battery doesn't judge. So they they learn that in every single single trio. And then we rotate our seating. Uh, and then we rotate again. So each person has a turn to sit in each chair in each trio. So It's trio very interesting. Change. Yeah, the trios mm-hmm. change in their focus, but the neutral observer is the one uh, part that remains constant. It's always the same. And the reason for that is that the more people participate that way, the more that they learn experientially that they can go out and be in the world that way, that you don't have to judge things uh, right or wrong as soon as something happens. You can just observe it and say, isn't that interesting? It, it is so true, and I think I learned a lot of that years ago when I took a class in mediation. And 
as a mediator, you're trying to see both sides and, and talk through both sides. But yeah. it's interesting because as I read your book, I was thinking this is very much akin to being a mediator, only silently observing and seeing what is without judgment, because you can't have judgment as a mediator. You just have to state things in a different way. So the other person gets it. And then, yeah. And it's very, very interesting. I really, I enjoyed that, but I know that it's difficult for a lot of people to take themselves out of the role of judge and jury. And that's why not everybody can be a mediator. So that's why not everyone is probably very good at being a neutral observer, unless as is the crux of your book, it comes down to really practice. To practice this every day is and be the spiritual person that you are while you're here to the best of your ability. Fair statement? Yes. Oh, yes. This is one of the very, very, very first home assignments we give people. Uh, And I think we mentioned this in one of the books. I don't remember. But it's, if you, and this is something all your listeners can just try out and just then observe mm-hmm. and see what effect it has on them. So pick a day. Uh, maybe tomorrow you start out um, early in the morning when you get up, and your goal for the day is that you are going to consciously practice seeing the loving essence no matter what else you're doing that day. So uh, you're driving in your car. You know, somebody cuts in front of you. Oh, there's somebody cutting in front of me. Uh, uh, I'm going to thank them for letting me know where they are so I can pull back a few cars and not be anywhere near them because I, right. I don't perceive that as, uh, you know, as healthy, but, I, but I'm not going <laughs> to judge them. I'm just, I'm just observing. There's, yep. a, gee, there's a bunch of people in the supermarket at the checkout counter, and uh, gosh, they have different expressions on their face. Isn't that all interesting? Gee, there's a parent scolding a child. Huh, isn't that interesting? So you 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 learn to see without judgment, or without. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, let me put it this way: one of my favorite writers, David Hawkins, said it this way. He said, "Perception is edited observation, and it's the ego that does the editing." Right. <laughs> so if you just if you just observe then there is no editing going on, and all you do is you see what's there. And, and you also don't get as stressed. You know, the stress no. goes oh, right down. You're not raising your cortisol no. levels. I mean, it's really great. I remember yeah. once I was, sitting in, I was sitting in a yoga class, and a woman came in late, and she snapped her yoga mat, and that was the first moment I realized, ooh, you can snap a yoga mat. Did not know that. And I continued with my practice. And at the end of the class, I said to her, are you okay? And she said, I was driving here to get to yoga. The car in front of me stopped at the red light. It was supposed to take a turn. It didn't. It wanted to go straight. I was so mad. And I said, it's just yoga. And she looked at me and she said, what? I said, you're supposed to really relax here. And you know what? Maybe, just maybe, think about this the next time you're driving and somebody cuts you off or makes you be what you think will be late. Maybe that person is there because they were planted there so that you wouldn't go careening around the corner and hit someone or hit another car. And then where would you be? And she just looked at me. Yeah, and she said, okay, I don't really do that. And I said, I know you don't. I can tell by the way you snapped your yoga mat because I never knew you could snap a yoga mat, but you can. <laughs> like, wow. Yeah. Wow, that's a great example Yeah, of how caught up in uh, the goal it after that. become. And just in that ego reference 
way of thinking and doing things. And, you know, part of what we work with the students on are practical tools that they can use in their everyday lives because part of what's challenging because of our conditioning is we see through a certain lens of perception and that lens of perception is based upon our conditioned beliefs and right. it, uh, it holds us into the duality of what we've been conditioned into believing is right and wrong, good and bad, and perhaps even more profoundly, what we believe about ourselves and about what's possible for us. And so cleansing that lens of perception, doing the inner work to become more aware of the, the beliefs and judgments, and learning how to compassionately forgive ourselves for having bought into them is, from our point of view, the most profound game changer. Oh, couldn't agree with you more. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and there were a couple of, uh, one of the other things that was in your book that I really liked, and this is on the same line, is acceptance, which can also be tricky because it is yeah. easy to accept things sometimes. And then there are other times when, you know, acceptance can take years. <laughs> but before we yeah. get into actually that aspect of it, there are people, I do believe, that confuse acceptance with forgiveness. And while they work well together, they are very different. They are, they are very different because acceptance really simply means I'm accepting that this is what is. This is going on. It doesn't mean we're in agreement with it. It doesn't mean we like it or that we have to like it. It's just the acknowledgement. This is what is. See, if a, if a person truly is in acceptance, then the issue of forgiveness becomes a moot point because you never, if you never make anything wrong, there's nothing to forgive. Mm-hmm. And so if someone who is a very accepting person is never going to even need to deal with forgiveness because they will never have uh, made anything wrong to begin with. And, and um, this whole business of forgiveness is largely misunderstood as well because most people have the idea that what forgiveness is about is taking the attitude that says, well, all right, all right, you did this really awful thing, but I can be big enough, I can forgive you for doing this awful thing. Well, that's the ego's idea of forgiveness, but that doesn't mm-hmm. really do it. That doesn't really do it, because what true forgiveness is, is I forgive myself for judging you as doing something wrong, because in spiritual reality, there's no wrong. There's just what is. And so yes. things are happening all around us. It's we who who make the judgment on it. And every judgment that we issue uh, is at some point in time is going to need to be let go of. Uh, so letting go of judgments is really where the, where the major work is to be done. And from our point of view, that is really the, the linchpin of this whole subject of spiritual psychology. Is that one, that and one you, process, learning how to do it. And when you do that, the relief 
the relief in the sense of I don't eat, it's euphoric. I was going to say I don't even know if there's a word, but there is. It is extremely euphoric. And yeah. and here's a, a kind of a kind of a for instance. I recently was having major anxiety about a certain situation, and so I went to the doctor and said, "I'm having anxiety. I mean, this is just terrible. I need something. You know, what what can I do?" And he said, "Well, I want to put you on Lexapro. No offense to the people at Lexapro, but pff, oh my God, don't get on that." So <laughs> I went and got it, and I came home and I read the side effects. One of the side effects was anxiety. And I thought, seriously, this is a drug for anxiety, and one of the side effects is anxiety. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? And I threw the drugs on the counter in the kitchen, and I said, there is no way in God's green earth I'm doing this. I am not doing this. And I I thought back for a moment to something that the doctor said. He said to me, until circumstances change, you won't be able to get off Lexapro. Three words, until circumstances change. And I thought to myself, you know what? And I stood there looking at my counter with, with the drugs on it, and I thought, okay, I cannot change the external circumstances. I can't. I have no control over what's going on outside. However, exactly. I can change my perspective and what I'm doing. And at exactly. that moment, I could literally feel a shift in my body. I swear the neuropathways in my brain were changing as I thought. I think they were. And within days, I felt better. Now it's been about six weeks, okay? I am back to who I was before. I'm not on Lexapro. I don't need anything. And I'm like, you know what? It, it is a matter of saying, I accept what is happening, but I don't have to be part of it. I don't have to react to it. I'm not going to respond to it. And it really worked for me in a big way. That is such an incredible example, really beautiful. And I acknowledge you. It's, uh, it's a beautiful, what, what you share is a beautiful example of one of the principles that we we um, bring forward in our work, and that is that how you relate to the issue is the issue, or mm-hmm. how you relate to yourself while you go through the issue is the issue. And it really comes down to a choice, and you recognize that you had a choice about how you were going to hold this inside yourself and that is so empowering and so liberating. Yeah, it really was. It reminded me of, um, how was it, 12 years ago now, I was diagnosed with ovarian cancer, and I had to have a radical hysterectomy. And mm-hmm. when the doctor said those words to me, I thought, okay, this was not what I was thinking was going to happen today. This isn't even script, you know, I'm, I'm not liking this. So I said, you know, well, you have a doctor, right? And he said, yes. I said, so you're going to take care of it? And he said, yeah. I said, all right. So I got up and left. And I went and I scheduled the surgery with the nurse, and I came home. And he called me that night, and he said, where did you go? I said, I came home. He said, I thought you went to the ladies' room. I said, no, I came home. I scheduled surgery. I'll see you, you know, the Monday before Thanksgiving. And he said, that's not how it works. I said, that's how it works for me. I have too much on my plate. I need to step away from the buffet. You said you'd take care of it. I'm giving it to you. I'm done. And, you know, when you do that, it really does start a healing process in your body. I never had to have chemo. I never had to have radiation. I was fine after the hysterectomy. So it it brought me back to that moment. It brought me back to that moment, and I thought, this is when you get mad enough, you really, or or you emotional enough, when you get emotional enough, things will happen, and you can make them happen. And I didn't know I was doing it until I did it and said, oh, my God, I I just did it again. This is really cool. And I'm always amazed. (laughs) You know, I love being amazed by that. It's, it's very interesting to see, but it is absolutely possible to do that. And people need to just realize if you live with awareness and what you're seeing and hearing, 
it, things will come back to you and you'll do things that will relate well to you and bring you into your, your authentic self and you'll be able to do things for your highest good. And I think that's what was happening for me. Yeah. Yes. Well, and it sounds also that in a way, in that moment, you disidentified with the, with the dis-ease in your body and also that somehow there was a resolve and an intention that you would be free of it. Yeah, I was mad. <laughs> I was like, I'm not having this. Get out. You know, like, no, no, we're not doing this. This is not part of the plan, man. You know, yeah, I was. Re- I understand what you're saying, Mary. <laughs> but I admit, yeah. I was really ticked off. You know, <laughs> both yeah. in both cases. Well, and and it's really interesting because Bernie Siegel in his book Love Medicine and Miracles wrote yes. about how that the people that were more feisty as patients actually had a much better recovery and healing rate. And Bernie's been on this show like three times. He's like my buddy uh, now. I love Bernie. Yeah. <laughs> He's he was, amazing. He was uh, one of our graduation speakers one time. So next time you have him on, oh, tell cool. him we said hello. I shall. He's wonderful. I love him. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's so funny. In reading your book and his book, there's so much that's similar. I mean, everybody's speaking the same language and putting it out differently, and it all makes sense. We just have to get the books in the hands of the people that can read it and really allow it to make sense for them. You know, the work I do, the work that you do, I'm on a much smaller scale. I'm certainly not at, you know, USM, but I do things within my own practice to help people and to, to bring them to the, and I always think to myself when I'm talking to people, listen to what you're saying because this message is probably for you too. Because many times they are. The messages that you're giving other people are also for you. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the blessings of being in a position where you have the privilege of really working with other people in consciousness. Because uh, I look at every session as a form of self counseling. Yes. Mhm. Yep. And even when I'm dealing with children, I do a lot of pediatric hospice volunteer work, and oh. that can be grueling. But those children, yeah. they have got such a great outlook. They have. It's amazing to me. I'm constantly amazed by what I hear and learn from the children. It is crazy good stuff. It really is. You know, and these young souls that are coming on the planet, many of them are quite awake. I mean, we're very impressed with children of some of our younger friends, and you you see they're just more conscious, and we even see it in the in the classroom. You know, we've been doing these classes now for over 30 years, and the young people that are coming into the program now, it's like they are hungry for this. They already have an awareness of of it inside themselves. It has resonance. They understand that it's. Uh, uh, a job that requires an orientation from the inside out, that we're not victims, that we are responsible, that we do create our reality, and that it really is an incredible privilege to be born into the Earth School and have the opportunity to wake up to remember. And they are coming in. I don't know if it's more evolved or smarter, but you see it in their faces as babies because friends of mine who have, you know, just had babies, I'm thinking, all right, there's the baby. And then I see the baby a month later. I'm like, that, that's not a baby anymore. That's a little person. That babiness is going away much more quickly. Yeah, you see it too, right? Yes, absolutely. You know what I'm talking about. You know what I I'm talking do. about. Yes. 
And you know, some of them, you know how some babies are very sleepy the first month of their life, but some of these babies pop out, and boy, they've got their eyes open, and there's consciousness and awareness very present in that infant already. They're here to change this world. Yes, they're here yes. to truly change the world. I believe that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We see it in the, we see it in the classroom. Um, there are let's say we'll present something. And 20 years ago, we may have had to spend a lot of time answering questions and, you know, how does this work? And, well, if this, then what? And, you know, nowadays, uh, very often you present the same thing. And it was like, okay, what's next? Yeah, we, we know mm-hmm. that. What, you know, and they really do. And so yes. we're, we're <laughs> seeing it. Uh, we're seeing it. And we're seeing it. In, and, and this is happening. I mean, we've we've always had a guideline that, you have to be at least 18 to be in the classroom because you need a certain amount of life experience. And also we want people to be legally of age. Right. Yes. And so this year, for the first time, we have a couple of 17-year-olds in there, and they are children of USM grads, of previous grads. Well, ah. they're, just, they, you know, they're just fitting right in as if, uh, as, well, sure, we grew up with this. Well, I suspect they did. Sure. Yes, but that, that's but very that, cool. <laughs> and that raises the question, why those souls born to that experience? So it takes us into that greater perspective of uh, souls reality. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and we're getting close to the top of the hour, but I do want to touch on one other thing. You speak about dreams and, and the role that they play in the awakening uh, process. Tell us a bit about that. Well, dreams are... Uh, very, there are many different kinds of dreams, but I think my favorite kinds of dreams are dreams that are messengers, dreams that bring us either greater awareness, there are dreams that bring guidance, there are dreams that bring healing. And one of the tools we encourage our students to work with is something we call dream incubation. It's formulating a question that they want to ask and refining the question because if the question is really clear, it's more likely that a dream will come forward that is providing guidance or healing. And I I know um, a, a dream book that I read a few years ago had a beautiful story in it about a gentleman who received a diagnosis of cancer And when he went to bed after receiving that diagnosis, he asked in the dream, what is the direction of healing? And he had Mm. a dream about it. It led him to a doctor that provided some very special uh, treatment for him that led to the remission of symptoms and ultimately healing and being cancer-free. So... Uh, I know in my own life, dreams have played an extremely important role in terms of guidance. One of my one of my favorite dreams was um, going back when I first started in all this. This was even before I knew Mary, with my first teacher in New Mexico, and I was just getting my myself my ears wet in this in this whole thing. And I asked for a dream and said, "What well, what is this really all about? I mean, what?" What is this that we're that we're really doing? And so, it, uh, I go to sleep and I have this dream. I'm driving in a car, in a backcountry road in New Mexico. And if you've ever been out there, 
you're out in the desert and there's really you know you got sararo cactuses that are pretty big and tall but there's nothing else around any, anywhere and so i'm driving along and and uh, all of a sudden the car jumps off the road and i'm now driving in the desert and maneuvering my way in between these giant cactuses and then all of a sudden the steering goes out i have no more steering mm. and i'm uh, you know i'm really getting scared now but I haven't hit anything yet. And then all of a sudden, the gas, you know, I start going faster. And uh, and I put my foot on the brake. The brake is gone. So now I'm in a speeding vehicle that's going faster with no steering. And, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm just going nuts with anxiety. And then all of a sudden, I have this realization and that the car seems to be doing just fine without my steering and without my control of the gas pedal. It's going in and out of between the Sororos just really wonderfully all by itself, at which point I simply take my hands off the steering wheel and I just sit back and enjoy the ride. Oh, it's see, you were the first like car that was a first driverless car. <laughs> they have them now. <laughs> that's very good. I have to remember that. Oh, that was it's the true. start of the driverless yeah. car. That's right. Yeah, you could have been, you know, like did an Uber thing yeah. and didn't even have to go to work. I could have been. Oh, my Elon goodness. Musk. There you go. There you go. Wow, that is crazy good. You know, I agree with you. I find that for me, a lot of my dreams, if I, you know how they say sleep on it and you'll get an answer in the morning. And that's probably where that comes from is that, you know, you do put something in your mind and your mind figures it out. It's like this super organic computer that we cannot replicate at all on this planet right now because it's our brain. And we send it out on a Google search and it takes care of, you know, doing the research for us and comes back and says, here's an answer and you get the answer. But I find that sometimes my, my husband leaves at a God awful hour in the morning. He leaves at like quarter or five to go to work. So I will get up and then I'll go back to bed and yeah, that's the best then I'm time. having lucid dreaming. Yes. The yeah. lucid dreams because you really yeah. remember them and they're so profound and so colorful and so real. And many, many, many times within the past, probably, oh, I don't know, five years, it's something that, I needed an answer to immediately or it's something that happens in three days and I say, oh, I know the answer because I saw this in a dream. <laughs> no, right. It's really cool. <laughs> yeah. And from our perspective, it's not that, see, that isn't really happening in our minds. That's happening in the level of the, what we would call the spiritual dimension or the fourth, the fourth dimension. And we, Absolutely. we, we can bring it back into consciousness and, then it'll come in through the mind, but it's not happening in the mind. It's happening somewhere, and you're bringing it forward is what That's I right. kind of look at it. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's almost like yeah. you're remembering what's happening in the future. You're actually remembering what's happening in the future, and it's a very yeah. cool concept. And, yeah, I really like that an awful lot. <laughs> and I think but what in, all of this comes down to – go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say, in spiritual reality, there is no future. The only time is now. That's the only time we ever experience. Right. So we it, it, it opens up a whole dimension of infinity. So we're bringing something back out of that dimension and bringing it into consciousness. 
so that we can be aware of it and learn from it and grow from it. And I think it comes down to really, yeah, exactly, hopefully, that once you have the awareness, it's almost like you can't go back because people will think, well, that was one example. And, And I'll say to them, start watching, and you will see examples every single day constantly, constantly. And if you do, then you can't not live like that. You know, it, because it's almost like a game. It's kind of fun to live that way and realize, well, if I'm more aware, I will see this happen and this happen. And you do. You actually do see things happen that you wouldn't have caught before because you weren't being in the moment. And people aren't in the moment right now. They're all on their cell phones doing all kinds of things, and nobody's okay. really paying attention. Yeah. So it's, um, it truly is, yeah, it truly is interesting. One, I think the thing that wrapped it up for me was at the beginning of Chapter 4, Uh, The quote by St. Benedict, listen and attend with the ear of your heart. And that kind of spoke all of it to me. You know, it's like if you listen and attend with the ear of your heart, you're going to hear, you're going to do, and in the attending, you will also be coming from your heart. I loved that. I absolutely love that. Thank you for including that in the book. (laughs) Yes, it's one of my favorite quotes because it's Mm -hmm. all about opening up into the deeper experience that is available inside us when we do listen and attend with the ear of our hearts because we will be so much more aware of who we are. I think that um, quote provides a gateway to the awareness of compassion, both compassion for ourselves and for other people, And it also opens a door to awareness of the greater mysteries of life uh, that exist within us and are part of our spiritual nature. Yeah, to me, it really was all-encompassing, and it embodies everything that is, you know, spirituality, because it does encompass all of those things that you just mentioned, you know, compassion and kindness and being aware and coming from your heart and hearing and and not judging people and not comparing yourself and just knowing that I have my journey. I really ought not to be concerned about anyone else's. That's theirs. I need to just work on mine and go through with what I need to go through and not, not worry about it, you know? Um, So that quote, so few words spoke so loudly, you know, they just speak so loudly. Mm, Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful quote. And, and, and I love seeing that. I was on chapter four and I, I had to remember to go back and say, I think that was chapter four. <laughs> and I kept remembering it and I wanted to make sure I said it on air because full-bodied and rich and it just does it all. And we are almost at the top of our, the hour, but before we go, would you please tell our listeners how they may learn more about you, your work, and where they may purchase your book, Remembering the Light Within, A Course in Soul-Centered Living? Uh, in addition to the remembering the light within, they might be interested in our earlier book, Loyalty to Your Soul, because that has more of the, uh, it fleshes out the whole thing. Um, the foundation. The foundations uh, more clearly, whereas the Awakening book is more of a workbook. And we do offer mm-hmm. the Loyalty to Your Soul weekend workshop, which is the experiential uh, component that people can experience what we're talking about. I think the next one we do in July, don't we, Mary? Yes, yes. But if people would like more information about the University of Santa Monica, about the work that Ron and I do in our programs in spiritual psychology, they can go to www. 
www.universityofsantamonica.edu, and there's lots of information there available about various uh, offerings. And probably the easiest way to buy uh, Remembering the Light Within or Loyalty to Your Soul is through either Amazon or Barnes & Noble, buying it online. That's great, and they can also go to a local bookseller who will order it and bring it in, and the price is usually the same. So if yeah. you want to you know, go to you, honor your, uh, your local bookstores, that's great too. Mm-hmm. It, it is wonderful, uh, and I, I, remember I mentioned the, your other book at the beginning of the show, Loyalty to Your Soul, The Heart of Spiritual Psychology. Even that just says, okay, read me first, you know. So it would be good to get both of them and, and go through it because you get one to learn and the other one to do the workbook from. It is, right. It's wonderful work. You put it in terms that anyone could understand. It's not, you know, academic in nature. So it's something that's uh, fun to read. Uh, at least I thought so. And, uh, yes. you know, you get a lot out of it. Yeah, I think it would resonate with many, many people. And so I applaud you for doing such a great job with the book. And I'm so grateful that you were able to, to take time to join me here tonight. Thank you so very much. You bet. Really a pleasure, T. Thank you so much for the work that you're doing, bringing all of this out into the world and helping others become more aware. Apparently, it's my journey, right? <laughs> That's right. Well, it sounds like it's part of your path of service. And it's fun. So you just yes. hold on for a few minutes, and I'll talk to you in just a bit. So listeners, we need you to spread the word. We know you enjoy what you hear on Energy Awareness Radio, so please share it with your friends. We live in a very challenging and constantly changing world. That's why I have the guests that I do to keep you apprised so you won't get lost in the dross of life. We need to stay aware so we can navigate easily and live the life we're meant to live productively, healthfully, and purposefully. And this is where you find the tools to do just that. So please send the link for this show to everyone you know and let them have the same opportunity that you just had so they may learn and grow and make the world a better place for all. On behalf of everyone here at Energy Awareness Radio, I'd like to thank all our listeners for tuning in. My name is T. Love. And I hope you'll be back next week for another great show here at Energy Awareness Radio. For more information about me, please visit my website, quantumwellness.org. You'll find an archive list of past shows, the lineup for upcoming shows, as well as information about other upcoming events I'll be hosting. Please be sure to check out our charitable organization for kids, Soji Huggles Children's Foundation, where every penny of every donation directly supports children in need. We're run solely by volunteers, so there are no salaries or stipends or compensation of any kind to anyone. We are Soji Huggles Children's Foundation, and we are investing in a brighter tomorrow by giving them a better today. So thank you for taking time to visit our website, SojiHuggles.org. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at NRG Aware Radio, and at Soji Huggles. I am your host, T-Love, here at Energy Awareness Radio, intending you and yours a most wonderful week. Remember, living from your heart is quite easy. You need only give thanks to do so. Take care and stay well. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.